0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FSR Energy podcast. I'm joined here today by Laima Eicher. Uh, Laima and I were recently attending together the conference on the geopolitics of the green hydrogen transition in Berlin, hosted by H2 Diplo of the German Federal Foreign Office and GIZ. She is also also the co-author of the document, The Future of Green Hydrogen Value Chains, Geopolitical and Market Implications in the Industrial Sector, together with Nicola de Blasio Good morning, Lima. Thank you for joining me. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself?
1: Thank you very much for the invitation. Sure. I'm a research fellow at the Harvard's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs, and I'm also affiliated with the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam. And previously, like generally, my research focuses on the geopolitics of the energy transition what chances and risks it entails for certain country groups. And previously, I worked also with GIZ on climate partnerships, and in NGOs and consultancy.
0: Okay, wonderful. Thanks very much for that. So, Lima, in the paper, you include sort of five baskets of countries as somewhat of a framework to analyze their different capacities and according to different criteria for how they might fall as players within the global hydrogen sector. You classify these as front runners, upgraders, green hydrogen exporters, green hydrogen importers and bystanders. And then within that, you give us three case study examples of the U.S., Thailand and Germany that fall within that framework. I wondered if you might give us a little bit of context and background, how you came to that framework, whether it was something that came out of the analysis or something you already anticipated before. And uh, yeah, maybe a little bit of detail on those case studies and and why you chose them.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for the question. Um, within the paper, we try to um, cluster countries along those five country groups. Um, in order to see a little bit um, which countries have the potential to produce green hydrogen domestically and potentially also to export that green hydrogen. And for that, we we looked at um, resource availability for renewable energy potential, but we also looked at factors such as freshwater availability, population density, and, and the energy consumption within those countries. And that gave us a group of countries that have very good conditions to export green hydrogen, such as, for example, also Australia, but also some European countries um, such as Spain and Portugal, um, Namibia, different countries across the whole world, and that, and it's a good, good. Um, it's good to see that a lot of countries worldwide do have some potential to produce green hydrogen. And in a second step, we looked at where, um, green, where hydrogen in general is consumed today, what kind of countries do have industrial production that uses hydrogen as an input, um, namely to produce methanol, ammonia, and steel. And that gave us a group of countries that either can produce the green hydrogen domestically for those industries and be some to some extent self-sufficient um, in this regard, as they decarbonize those industries and um, that those countries would really be very well positioned in the green hydrogen economy. And those countries are those are countries such as the U.S. and China and a couple of others. And um, on the other hand, some countries that have a large scale production in these industries lack the resources um, domestically and need to import green hydrogen in the future if they want to keep those industries. And in that group, we see countries like Germany, for example. And um, we did a deep dive on on that case study in that regard. And um, we see another interesting group which is countries that do have, don't have, do have those industries today in their country, but that have very good economic conditions. They have related industries that already have some kind of network effects and potentially some kind of infrastructure that could be reused and also very important and um, transferable skills that could be used in, in those industries. And I think... That, in combination with domestic resources, really gives a very good precondition for countries to become so-called value chain upgraders and to attract some of these industries and to have something like a sustainable industrialization or green industrialization in a green hydrogen economy. And um, that um, might be countries like Mexico or Thailand. And to some extent, we also could see some potential for some industries to move across Europe, for example, to Spain and Portugal in that regard due to those very good conditions. And um, we think it's important to to include those countries in the picture because it gives us an interesting um, hint to some potential dynamics of competition and cooperation across countries. Um, We might see some competition among frontrunners. we might also see some competition between importers and potential upgraders but also for sure um, some collaboration as um, importing countries reach out towards potential sourcing countries to export hydrogen
0: oh perfect that's a uh, that's super interesting and i think adds a really nice nuance and diversity to uh what are a lot of perhaps more primitive modeling exercises, which look at more simplistic uh, aspects such as levelized cost of electricity alone, but uh, ignore these other kinds of more nuanced aspects that you might have within a value chain that also prioritizes and values the uh, secondary processing aspects. For example, the creation of final products rather than just the commodity itself. Uh, as well as yeah, the different needs and uh, limitations and opportunities for collaboration, but also basis for competition. Um, these are all really uh, important and topical subjects. On that point, I just wanted to to ask how you felt um, the the different policy implications from the paper pertain to different country groups, and if you had any kind of uh, c- particular conclusions that were interesting for you or that were new outcomes from the research that that you weren't expecting or that you hadn't seen before in the debate?
1: Yes, thanks for the question. I think the framework with the five different country groups really helped us to um, realize that um, each of those country groups might have different policy strategies. And um, yeah, I, I think it's really important to see that they might have different aims and also apply different means to achieve their strategic goals in the green hydrogen economy. Just to give some examples, um, front-running countries, those are countries with a lot of resources to generate green hydrogen, existing markets and innovative skills. Those countries should, in our opinion, really support their industries in the decarbonization process via green hydrogen early onwards and to try to upscale those applications with a lot of public s- policy support but they would also benefit from having clear international standards on green renewable hydrogen production and to also create international alliances such as and potentially also climate clubs for an equal level playing field in order to avoid competition with um, countries that still produce based on gray hydrogen Um, in turn for example upgrading countries those are research-rich country nations with innovative skills but um, still Some market constraints, they should assess whether it makes sense for them to compete with industrialized importing countries and um, they should focus on mobilizing foreign capital for industrial projects in order to really lower the market risks in their countries Um, and potentially public-private partnerships and joint ventures would also be a very good way to um, increase technology transfer and learning experiences and to really engage in strategic partnerships with front-running countries to really have that um, experience of being able to attract industrial um, sectors. Um, In turn, green hydrogen importing nations, such as Germany, for example, that are resource constrained and really need um, green hydrogen imports to sustain their industrial clusters, they would need to focus on innovation In order to keep their industries competitive and they could also benefit from long term contracts to reduce market risks and to ensure stable supply. um, With the green hydrogen exporters and um, they might also need to focus on a diversification of supply in order to avoid um, energy security risks. And um, yeah, lastly, green hydrogen exporting countries, they should really um, seek out some partnerships with green hydrogen importers because they might benefit from synergies and joint um, shared costs, for example, the build up of infrastructure for green hydrogen trade. And um, um, they could also um, benefit strongly from long-term contracts and also potentially from yeah, some alliances with other green hydrogen exporters. Um, we saw that in the field of um, oil and gas that such um, clubs um, had a help to help to stabilize prices, for example. And maybe it would make sense for green hydrogen exporters also to join forces to some extent.
0: No, oh, Indeed, I think that's a, that's a really good point. This sort of upskilling of labor and where there might be, for example, Uh, Training capacities or infrastructure in certain developed countries, but there's not the, I don't know, availability of a young population or spare labor force that does exist perhaps in other countries and how uh, you could create synergies and added value between them. Uh, sort of going somewhat in uh, in that direction or looking at international cooper- uh, cooperation piece, I wondered if you felt like there is a general climate for collaboration, shall we say, because there's been a lot of discussion in Europe and uh, beyond about the competition between countries that maybe fall within the same baskets uh, of the framework that you include, for example, the front runners basket mm-hmm. uh, or the green hydrogen mm-hmm. importers basket, where they 're competing for the same products or perhaps the same segments of the value chain, and I wondered if you are concerned about uh, protectionism in the sector or the willingness to share and exchange um, these kind of capacities between countries in order to you know what would perhaps be uh, beneficial for the overall build out of the sector, mm-hmm. but uh, the this sort of relationship between competition and collaboration in the mm-hmm. international hydrogen market and how you see that playing out do you have any views on this
1: um yeah sure um i guess um countries that i, I guess we might see both co- competition and collaboration at the same time and, and at different levels i could very well imagine that um the potential front runners that we identify such as really the us and china that have very good conditions to produce hydrogen domestically, potentially also export hydrogen but also related industrial products and that they are really also um, starting um, to engage in in those markets already today with a lot of funding programs um, the US with its big um, earthshot inif- initiative where they really want to bring down the costs of green hydrogen to until 2030 and put a lot of also yeah funding in into that endeavor. And research on on these technologies um, that they would potentially also um yeah have a more self-sufficient approach to that and and focus more on domestic um domestic industries um and how to competitive against, for example, China. And we saw also um, when we look at, for example, value chains on renewable energy technologies, how such tensions already have been created and have played out um, between countries that competed for, um, for example, soda in the solar sector. And um, we saw a lot of contestation also in the WTO on these topics and um, yeah, some trade conflicts. And we could certainly see also such dynamics in a green hydrogen economy. At the same time, other actors such as the European Union are a lot more um, in need for collaboration because they, yep. um, they could, in theory, also become self-sufficient and produce all the green hydrogen they need for their industries domestically. But that would come at a lot of a lot higher costs that would make them then potentially uh, less competitive on global markets in terms of their industrial production. And um, so if they aim for this cost competitiveness on global markets, potentially they need a lot of imports from other countries and therefore are a lot more um, open to create collaborative frameworks at the moment.
0: No, I think that's that's super interesting. I, I think that speaks a little bit to the piece about whether or not there is indeed capacity to be <laughs> self-sufficient or mm-hmm. uh, whether uh, indeed, actually, in a lot of cases, there will be a requirement and necessity to collaborate. And therefore, this overrides the, um, these instincts towards uh, protectionism or or trying to make some kind of self-sufficiency at the expense of uh, of cost or efficiency or opportunity cost in terms of allocation of renewables to... To other areas one of the things you you mentioned is the cross compatibility of industry so countries that already have existing industry how that might give them an advantage in uh, moving towards uh, decarbonized industries that are using hydrogen i wondered if you had therefore some reflections on issues like technology cycles and how far you see this equipment and these uh, infrastructures being cross-compatible with future industries? Because there are also uh, commentators in the space who suggest that actually we're building now almost new industrial value chains with relatively little overlap. And therefore how far does that give a competitive advantage in your view to already have uh, some of these sort of fossil based, but nevertheless, industrial value chains within industrial applications of renewable hydrogen moving forward. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, I think I I would agree that um, the green hydrogen economy definitely needs a lot of new infrastructure and new technologies. And so to some extent, um, this is really a chance to build up new value chains. But at the same time, I am quite sure that in the chemical industries and steel industries that we see today, um, we have a lot of um, common infrastructure and knowledge and in the workforce that has been built up that um, might be transferable but it depends a lot on how um, open these industrial actors are towards that kind of transformation whether they see it as a chance um, to increase their competitiveness to decarbonize quickly or whether they um, um, are reluctant to change and try to to block those developments Um, so I, I think it depends a lot on yeah, how quickly those industrial actors um, want to change.
0: No, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, especially in the context of what we're seeing now with the US Inflation Reduction Act and a lot of noise from European industry, for example, suggesting that they would be willing to move their operations to other places where it might be more competitive. So I think mm-hmm. this point that you make about how quickly are are industry willing to react and how quickly are governments willing to react in order to keep that industry? And on the flip side, you know, how attractive can countries that don't have that established infrastructure Mm -hmm. make themselves an attractive Mm -hmm. investment environment for that?
1: It depends a lot on the policies that we will see in the next 10 years as as the green hydrogen um, economy is developing and um, gaining traction. And I'm really curious to see those dynamics. And maybe um, there might be also differences with regard um, across those green hydrogen using industrial sectors in how far how flexible they are with regard to um, yeah, changing locations, <laughs> yep. so to say. And uh, currently at the Harvard Balfour Center, we're doing a deep dive into the steel sector and speak to a lot of um, Stakeholders in the steel industry to see um, what kind of potential they see for, for example, pre-production to move um, across countries. And um, it might be a totally different story and for the chemical sector. And yep. I think um, it would be very interesting to compare um, those chances to become part of different value chains across sectors in the future. And that's something that we're working on.
0: Okay, fantastic. I think that's uh, leading into your future research is perhaps a perfect place to, to end this, uh, this short interview. I would encourage our listeners absolutely to go and uh, read up on Lima's work and to follow what she's doing because it's really um, exceptional and, and very, very interesting work. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, and, uh, and yes, join us soon for, for another episode. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much.